tell me more about how his eyes look, Simon. It's almost <laughs> as if Simon enjoys being chastised by Baz or something. Like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Hot. Yeah, like, basically. <laughs> I feel like I just want to be, like, quote-unquote enemies for every time we bring up Baz. You want to get sexy? Yeah, let's get to the sexy stuff. Hello, and welcome to Escape from Reality, a podcast where two queer IRL witches read Carry On by Rainbow Rowell and talk about it. I am Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Jesse Blount, and in today's episode, we are discussing chapters 57 through 59 of Carry On. In chapter 57, we are in an Agatha chapter for the first time in a while. She is chilling at Penny's house for Christmas, making cookies, because Penny uh, vehemently insisted that they are, in fact, friends <laughs> outside of Agatha dating Simon, which is pretty cool. We see more of Professor Bunch uh, and learn a little about Lucy, the smart, powerful young woman she was, and another reason to hate the mage, who was handsome and charismatic and a piece of shit from Jump. Uh, mm -hmm. Agatha is taken with Lucy, this girl who got away, and takes the photo of a young Lucy, a young the mage, and a young Penny's mom, who looks very similar to Penny herself. Chapter 58, Lucy, who is talking to Simon, and therefore us, about the mage, aka Davy, who was a handsome but self-absorbed radical who no one took seriously but Lucy. Davy was obsessed with prophecies, and especially one prophesizing a quote-unquote greatest mage who will come to save everyone from something, an event that he thinks is happening very soon. Chapter 59, Penny. While Agatha is learning, is learning more about Lucy, Penny is up in her dad's study trying to get more intel on the attack at Wofford. What she gets is information about the early days of the humdrum's activity and its growth into a malevolent presence with a name. A ham fisted attempt to tempt her with research in Ohio to get her away from the danger, and one obvious lie about having heard about Nicodemus. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get into it, a couple real quick things. One, pre-orders for our Gay People Love Puns pin end on March 31st. We have to sell 50 before we can order them because 50 pin sales is literally just the cost of ordering the pins and we won't make a single cent on a pin until the second 50 that we're going to order. So get on that. Uh, please leave us a rating and a review because it makes us happy and also helps people find the podcast. Lastly, as always, we're spoiling everything through the end of this book, but nothing from the sequels. And now we will enter. Easy come, easy go. Easy come. Easy go, where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. I'm going to start off with just my, like, LOL sob about how there's just not enough mages to support the arts and sciences <laughs> in this, in this like, magical world. And I I'm know. like, and it's like, is that really the issue? Are you guys sure about that? That's a great question, actually. Is it a question of, like, numbers or a question of priorities or a question of, like lack of uh unification globally between mages perhaps 
if there was a a magical European Union, would there be more funding for things like this? Yeah, I seriously doubt there are not mages who are like, I mean, I guess maybe if they're making art or like music, they still have need the crossover appeal for normals, but. Yeah, and also, I think this is relevant to something that comes up later about how uh, Natasha Grimpitch wanted low-powered magicians to give up their wands. I'm like, are, is there a high, like a much uh, denser population of mages in other countries where maybe the world of mages hasn't been as shitty about like power snobbery and mm. like mixing of like magical and non-magical blood? It seems like since magic is genetic, probably if if you weren't so crappy, there would be many more like known mages in your society. Yeah. And therefore you would have more people, you know, funding magical history or whatever. Yeah. Just you you know, just another another magical world that could really should really put some importance on the humanities. <laughs> I guess. Uh-huh. Just like in real life. <laughs> But speaking of, we there is a magical anthropologist. I've been calling for one and here they are. <laughs> they're not doing what I want them to do, but like they exist and they're doing a job. So that's Listen, exciting. They're they're following up the funding, which I feel like is I'm sure very realistic if you're a researcher. <laughs> if you're like in research yes. the research part of academia. <laughs> yeah, that's You're like, very cool, true. you want me to uh investigate these uh you know dead magical this like magical dead space uh cool how much are you paying me great i'll be there yeah totally. <laughs> Going on this plane. so i i had this moment of the like meme from the office where you're just looking directly into the camera when mitali tells uh agatha and penny that it's good to have a life that passes the brechtel test uh-huh. <laughs> just to be like <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's very, you know what, I obviously have like appreciated that every time I've read this book. But just in this moment, I'm recognizing that how meta that was, was that like being this chapter exists so that this book will pass the Bechdel test? Because that I kind of is what it feels like because so many like the primary everything happening in this book is penny with two boys so she's always talking to a boy and we just have this this and one other chapter where it's just her and agatha and we have this brief moment where they're not talking about a man that's a good question i hope that it is i hope it's like a very tongue-in-cheek like literally rainbow rowell like breaking the fourth wall essentially oh i I definitely think this is a a fourth wall break about her like looking at us directly (laughs) yeah i love it um all right my last thing here is just that i think the (laughs) i I haven't been able to like fully conceptualize yet like what I think is so funny about it but the moment where Agatha's like don't worry about it my mom complains about the mage too and then she lists off why her mom complains about the mage which is like he like doesn't go to her parties and when he shows up he's dirty and then he leaves early and it is I just I just think it's really funny but I don't 
Can you help me understand why it's so funny? No, it's it's it, it's it's funny because out of all of the terrible shit the maze does that so many other characters are mad at, like Agatha's mom is like, he's just rude and like doesn't practice like social graces when he should. And it's just like LOL. That, like that's the hill you're dying on about this. Yes. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> And I feel like Penny's mom's response is also, like, really golden, where she sort of is, like, essentially, like, patting Agatha on the head of being like, yeah, okay, sure, this is a serious complaint that your mom is lodging that I'm sure could, like, get her tried for treason, similarly to me, like, telling you secrets about, like, the mage's past. Yeah. Uh, it just occurred to me that, like, probably is literally, like, talking shit about me is illegal or something to that effect. Totally. And it's like, oh, 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 oh God. <laughs> just yeah. throw him into the sea. He's so terrible. <laughs> Which we get to talk about more. Um, I, I do have one more thing in Easy Come, Easy Go before we move on to the section where we're inevitably going to talk shit about him. Is okay. Penny's, like, amusement at her dad for loving the well-turned phrase about the insidious humdrum. Uh-huh. And I also love a well-turned phrase, and I had no idea that's what it was called. <laughs> like, it just, like, it just, like, sounds good. And you're like, oh, that's so nice. That's so great. Well-turned phrase? Yeah. Okay, so here's here's what I am, am taking away from this, is that in your, est- your correct estimation, well-turned phrase is in and of itself a well-turned phrase. Shit, yeah. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Uh, this this is actually this is actually funny because when I was thinking about why I really like this, I was thinking about it in terms of how there's this piece of really famous writing advice called uh, "Kill Your Darlings," where this mm-hmm. guy is giving writing advice about like, oh, that line you really like, that's like a well turned phrase, but does nothing for the plot or the story. You should cut it out. Like cut it. Mm-hmm. Like cut it out of your cut out of your writing. It's just you being self indulgent. But then it's like, bro. You said kill your darlings as if that itself wasn't <laughs> a, like, fucking self-indulgent way of putting that. Are you fucking kidding me? <sighs> you hypocritical oh piece of shit. And I'm just oh like... <laughs> Incredible, Jesse. <laughs> oh. Anyway, so... <laughs> writers are such yeah. assholes that's all i gotta say about that oh jeez. i see a little silhouette of a man welcome to i see a little silhouette of a man where we talk about character development my first person is penny but i'm willing to start wherever oh we can start with penny I just think I really enjoyed getting Penny from Agatha's standpoint. I think it really, it gives us a whole different sort of view on Penny's penniness than we've had previously. Yeah. Um, Agatha's not particularly charitable (laughs) toward Penny. Yes, but it amuses me. Because I also feel a little bit like the vibe that we're getting, or at least in Agatha's perception of Penny, is that Penny also sort of has the same vibe. Maybe it's not the same vibe. Maybe just that, like, Penny has sort of a brash personality. 
Mm -hmm. that we like literally get in the like first literal half page of this chapter when they're having to think about the the gingerbread women and I'm like you guys I know Penny from Agatha's point of view I think also felt very like relatable to me in terms of like how I think that other people feel about me which and like which is not necessarily incorrect uh but like clearly penny struggles with like reading social cues and like knowing when and how to end conversations and you know that's fine and also probably agatha is not the right person for her to be friends with and also i don't know if this is more of a like penny thing or more of an agatha thing but that that line about how Penny's like, you don't think I want to be with Simon, do you? And Agatha's like, I think Penny wants to be the most important person in Simon's life. So is that a yes or a no? I was like, this is a really interesting situation that that they're in, in terms of how both of them are thinking about this. And Yeah, actually, I have a bit about digging into that assessment of Penny uh, in Cotton a Landslide. Cool. I was going to say if you had anything else about Penny here. I don't. So then, could we move on to Mitaly? Yes. Do you want me to start? Sure. I have Penny's family sort of like as a big clump. So yes, please start. Oh, all right. I actually only specifically have things about her. Um, <laughs> my first start, which is a little bit of a like tongue-in-cheek LOL, is that she would totes be the parent to tell her gay kid about the girl she had a crush on in school. Oh, wait. <laughs> Because, <laughs> like, everything about her describing Lucy, I'm just like, did you also have a crush on her? Totally. Wow. Good reading. But it seems like from all of our, everything we get canonically, uh, Penny is straight. I don't know about the rest of her siblings, so I don't know if that conversation will ever happen. But... I, like, don't believe in straight people, so I'm like, is Penny straight or just, like, the only girlfriend she girl space friend she's ever had is agatha which is so profoundly not her type yeah no the like exact opposite of her type. yeah <laughs> i don't know i struggle to imagine penny putting firm boundaries on her sexuality i guess that's fair like i think she would feel extremely um like claustrophobic at the idea of say like defining herself as something that would like maybe hinder her having a crush on someone in the future if that like opportunity presented itself yeah i guess i guess what i mean is that i think that and i and i mean i also don't want anyone to be straight so i agree with this uh i guess <laughs> i guess maybe then the my point is that penny is at this point is beyond the age where maybe she would have gotten that conversation from her mom as she would have been like hey i'm not you know hey i'm queer and it's like yeah. oh let me tell you about my friend lucy <laughs> which is yeah really what i would because i feel like you know in this book or like in future books she's been like oh hey by the way this is my girlfriend it's like all right cool <laughs> that's also i that's what i was just thinking is that this whole family feels to me like the idea of someone coming out would like never cross anyone's minds. It would be yeah. more like, this is my significant other, which like, God, do I hope we get there in like our lifetime where like, quote unquote, coming out is as simple as being like, I'm dating this person. I mean, I think if, uh, 
Gen Z gets old enough to have children and the earth isn't totally a cesspool of pollution and fire, then I think those folks' kids will be okay. So Yeah, I hope so. Or at least, you know, the folks that would be like, oh, you're not straight, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, did you have anything else about Penny's mom specifically? Uh, yeah, she is also the kind of friend who has good advice, but also never feels wrong. So you would be very hesitant to take her advice, I think, which is kind of how I'm imagining the conversations between uh, Mitaly and Lucy, where she's like, Lucy, your boyfriend is trash. You need to leave him. And Lucy's like, I mean, for a variety of reasons, like, no, girl, I love him. But it's also kind of like, I know how you feel strongly about things, so... Is it because you think he's actually run for me, or just because you decided he's not good enough for me, you know? Right. And, like, that's fine. People are people are like that, but I've, I feel like I've definitely met people like that. And it's like... I guess I say this very lovingly, I suppose, in, like, you know, being that kind of friend. Because, like, there are strengths to being that kind of friend, but also it can be hard to be, like... Okay, but this is your opinion, <laughs> and maybe not <laughs> totally logically thought out. Yeah, I think, I guess I'm, like, of two minds about it, where it's, like, I'm trying to think about it in context outside of being, like, your partner is abusive, because, like, I do think that the mage was abusive. Oh, and, yeah, like, no, totally. I have a lot of respect for people who are, like, I am going to, bring that up with my friend who's in an abusive relationship but I think that probably I don't know I guess I guess the fact that she seems to have taken it fairly well when Lucy was like I'm actually just like gonna fade out of your life makes me feel like she wouldn't necessarily have been like not be the the per the kind of person who like can't hear it when like their advice didn't go well mm. yeah because i feel like she would be bitter about lucy leaving if she was like that mm. does that make sense yeah yeah i mean it's a very difficult situation when someone that you're friends with is in a terrible slash abusive relationship absolutely um we learned so much about penny's family generally in this chapter i feel like you know we've talked about how we think that penny is some kind of neurodivergent whether that's like adhd or autism i feel like she definitely comes from like a family as like a hereditary thing because mm-hmm. uh, her parents are both like literally absent-minded professors which is yeah you know which is a thing that a phrase that's used to talk about especially autistic people even who are not like actual professors but her parents are actual professors <laughs> right? yeah and we see her dad who feels to me very adhd where he's like hyper focused on a thing he hasn't fucking left his office in three days he the especially the like his office appears to be a mess but is actually an incredibly organized chaos and is like don't fucking touch my my piles of tiny pieces of paper which is like yeah that's a forever adhd (laughs) mood like so so much (laughs) yeah 
yeah, I'm like, yep, I feel that. Very keen. I feel like <laughs> part of why Evan and I work so well is that he essentially has a photographic memory. So when he does move my tiny pieces of paper, I can call him at work and be like, where did you move my tiny piece of paper? And he knows and can tell me. So it's like, okay, and we don't have to get in a fight about it. Yeah, Nicole likes things tiny, so it is sort of a... Uh, never-ending compromise of where I can have my piles of stuff and then where there should not be piles of things. Uh, yeah. And then the fact that, like, Agatha describes all all of the, the kids as being, quote-unquote, frightfully independent. So it just seems like this house is, like, everyone is just, like, very well fit to living with one another in a way that feels really nice it's like everyone has their own like special interests that they engage in they're doing their own thing and no one seems to be like out of their element and i'm just like this sounds really great (laughs) yeah no it's not it's it sounds awesome you just like grab some snacks go back to whatever you're hyper focused on i'm like cool (laughs) yeah exactly uh but yeah i got this not built like that so i can definitely see her kind of like about like what is happening around me yeah (sighs) it's uh it's too chaotic for her yeah uh i think really my last thing about mitali is is she is a hundred percent where penny gets her (laughs) feminist leanings (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah i love it they're great i know it's just it's just so cute to see them, like, just, like, the three of them interact. It's so adorable in a way yeah. that's just, like, oh. <laughs> Totally. Um, Agatha? Yeah, let's talk about Agatha. I was really into her and her chapter. She feels so self-actualized, I guess, here in a way, like... She's very aware and unselfconscious about the fact that she's like, I'm wasting my time with Penny out of politeness, and I wish that I wasn't here and that I was spending time with my real friends. And yeah. also her frustration with Penny's mom for being like, hey, you'll like, you'll sort of judgmentally, you'll figure out what you want to major in. And Agatha's like, I'm a fucking 18 year old. Like, I don't want to know what I want to major in yet. I don't need to know that. And I just was like, cool cool Agatha I I like where you're at with this stuff and the way that you're thinking about your life and like what you want to be doing with it right now yeah it's like it feels kind of like all of the sort of tension of being like perceived at school is gone and she can just kind of have her own thoughts about being like shouldn't have been so polite god damn it (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that's a that's uh i really liked that i feel like our listeners couldn't see me like affirmative affirmatively pointing (laughs) at you so i want to verbalize (laughs) yeah she just feels she just feels chill and also i missed the part where penny was like i only have three friends and if we're not friends then i only have two which i think is interesting about penny and also i assume the other one that's not simon is micah her boyfriend which also is interesting but uh, in terms of Agatha, I feel like that's where she got guilted into this, where she's like, uh, <laughs> I'm yeah. one of only three friends. <laughs> like, okay, fine, I'll go to your house. Yeah. 
only because we've been through so much the past seven years, I guess. So what could we could go to your house? Yeah. Uh, I think Penny was also doing it out of obligation. I don't think either of them want to be doing this. Which is fair. sad. <laughs> like, it's sad that they're both spending their time this way. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like maybe as a teen, there's more internal pressure to be like, if I'm not doing cliche teen things, then who the fuck am I, you know? I think that Penny's feeling guilty that Agatha's been so alone at school mm. and, like, feeling some sense of responsibility for breaking up Agatha and Simon. And I don't think Penny can, like, fully grasp the idea that Agatha has, like, legitimate friendships with normals because Agatha's mom is so, like, shitty about... Or because Penny's mom is so shitty about normals. Yeah. That's all of my Agatha stuff. Um, okay, so we get, like, the mage's whole sort of teenage backstory here. Do you want to start off our conversation about that? Uh, color me shocked that the mage is a controlling piece of shit boyfriend. <laughs> this is number one. <laughs> yep. I'm sure this is also true in not leftist circles, but I feel like having been in leftist circles since I was in high school of various kinds of political action of varying degrees of radical to like moderate democratic stuff that I feel like I've come across so many self-absorbed handsome dudes that are like only I can truly see what is happening everyone else is just fucking sheeple and it's like mm-hmm. and so I'm just like uh, uh. Mm-hmm. okay Davey I'm sorry that no one <laughs> believes that you a 17 year old boy has got this magical prophecy that's been around who knows how many generations that you and only you have figured it out. You know, uh, I had actually like kind of complex feelings about the conversation where he was like, they treated me like a child and she was like, we are children. And he was like, no, we're not. Because like, honestly, I think that the world would be probably a lot better off if we sort of set the age limit of like who can be in positions of power between like 16 and 25 because i think people have their most revolutionary energy between the ages of 16 and 25 before your body starts falling apart but like after you're capable of really like thinking about things critically and like i think we should give teenagers a lot more credit than we tend to so like yeah he's 17 technically he's a child but also like penny's right he was a visionary and he probably did have good ideas. Like, I don't think he needed to be dismissed as a child just because he was 17. You're correct. Thank you for uh, correcting me. Because I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to, like, generalize, like, all the ideas of teens. Because, yeah, I mean, young people have, I feel like, honestly, the best ideas about stuff that's going on. And it's like, also, you have to live your entire life in it. We should be listening more to young people. I, I guess part of it is that Davy just like really just hit that part for me of just sort of self-absorbed visionary where it's like part of it is like okay yeah you do have really good ideas that can like improve the lives of a lot of people but also a lot of this you seem to still have a lot of ego wrapped up into this that as I always feel a little bit like I mean you can still care about what happens to people and it doesn't have to be about look how smart I am and like how much better I am than everyone else. Totally. And I'm, I should have validated that in what I said, because like, he sucks. Like, 
17 year old the mage sucked grown up the mage sucks he is like i have i have dated the mage it is the worst and like also right ben in organizing situations with the mage and like been like the facilitator of the free school meeting where the mage was talking and i had to be like stop interrupting people and being the only one talking and like felt the wrath of like a super like entitled full of himself just terrible fucking dude being silenced yes I think that there were lots of reasons for them to be dismissive of him. I just was upset that, like, they dismissed him because he was a child. Or at least that's what they told him. And they should have been like, there are avenues for these things and you can't just come to one meeting and expect us to, like, change everything right away. Which might be the dream, right? But also probably he needs to, like, collect some fucking signatures or, like, something. Just not be, like, one dude. Yeah. And especially with... And I actually, I do, you know... I do appreciate us being able to to, to clarify because I think that's like really important. Part of me also wonders because, you know, we get in these chapters and it's like, oh, kind of before the humdrum, the world of mages was like a club or a like society. And I feel like that sort of conjures up old people drinking some kind of fancy punch and being mm-hmm. like, this young whippersnapper thinks he can come in here come back to us when you're like five years older and had some real world experience. And it's so it's kind of like, yeah, like fuck that kind of vibe, like for sure. And it, it might just have been easier for them to be like, you haven't even graduated Watford. Why should we listen to you? Which is a bullshit way to look at young people and their ideas for sure. So I guess maybe part of me wonders, wonders what kind of meeting, like I feel like it wouldn't necessarily be the kind of meeting where it's like, all right, we're at the end of the meeting. We're gonna take some public comments now from the rest of the mages not in charge, you know? Right. It probably was way more like old school rich people hanging out, talking about shit, <laughs> talking about shit. Yeah, that's, oh, that's so true. I, I definitely, like, didn't read closely enough in terms of what Penny's dad was saying about what the world of mages was like before the humdrum, but you're totally right that, that that's sort of, the the vibe that he was like coming up against i i think again it's like the mage is such a like incredibly nuanced character because it's like he he was like intense and radicalized and ready to storm the palace and like build a guillotine right and it's like yes all of the things and then it's like but not you (laughs) (laughs) it's like you won't listen to anyone and like you're awful and i just there's something so like as a character i just enjoy him so much because i like both agree with him and hate him and i don't know i don't feel like you get that very much with characters and books where you're both like fucking build a guillotine and like please give it to someone else yeah no i don't trust you with that guillotine yeah it's it's very it's very big like yeet the rich vibe which i'm like i'm here like yes let's yeet the rich into the sun but i'm also like uh the mage i don't know really about the rest of your shit and right if you're not gonna listen to anyone else so we're just gonna like have to trust you to make other decisions and i don't think I do. I trust any of you. Like, I don't know if I he trust. He wants the just power all for himself. I think that's yeah. it. I think we've got it. 
right? Like he wants to take the power, but he doesn't then want to like distribute the power. He wants to take the power and then is like, and I have all of the right ideas. And so I want to keep all of the power for myself. Right. With with just enough like leftist egalitarian ideas, like op- opening Watford for anyone magical for you to be like, Oh, fuck, that was a good idea. But the rest of this, you started off really well being anti-establishment and then you became the establishment. And it's like, that is actually not what we were here for. All right, what we assumed you were here for too, dude. So. Right. 23 episodes in, we've figured out what it is about the mage that is the problem. When you overthrow the government, you have to create a new government that makes it so that the government won't be oppressive again in the future. And the mage didn't do that. He just became his own oppressive government because he's so fucking arrogant that he thinks that all of his own ideas are the only good ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that he's rallied about, which is no one listening to him, then he just goes on to not listen to anyone else. And it's like, I mean, (laughs) I, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think you needed like degree in psychology to be like, uh, are you sure about that? I know. Really? I feel like arrogant, easily wounded cis men are like so fucking dangerous because especially in situations like this where he really does have a very firm and mostly very good moral compass. But like he sees everything in black and white and he thinks that he's the only one who can see things clearly. So yeah. it's like he's got the willpower to make things happen. But anyone who goes against him, he takes it as a personal affront instead of being able to listen. So like where he could be incredibly beneficial for this society in terms of making good change if he was willing to listen and learn and grow and like share his power instead he just becomes this person that we fucking hate because he is deplorable (laughs) like he's so awful yeah wow i did not expect for this to feel for this conversation to get so so relevant to real life (sighs) i do feel kind of like excited that we've like nailed down why the mage is so complex yeah yeah no that that feels really good because i've been kind of because like right i've also been kind of like uh like your policies some of your policies are good but the rest of your vibe is real awful (laughs) yep uh it's just i feel like i feel like the mage sounds like someone the fucking democratic party would put up for president and would like win the like (laughs) with linda like democratic ticket and you're like how do we get davy are you fucking kidding me all of these other people and y'all are like davy looks good i'm like are you sure are you sure about that truly (sighs) anyway (laughs) let this this be a lesson to us all Uh, yeah um should we go talk about politics all right yeah let's go on to face the truth then welcome to face the truth where we talk about politics and things that are fucked up my first thing is just about the 
baby feminist argument that Agatha and Penny have at the very beginning of Agatha's chapter, where like Penny's like, why do all the gingerbread girls have to be in pink? And Agatha's like, why can't they just like pink? Part of me is like, LOL, chill, you're both right. But it's also kind of like, it's sort of like that like galaxy brain meme where it's like, oh yeah, gender norms say that, you know, girls are pink and boys are blue. And then it's like, the next step is like, no, like you don't have to ascribe these colors and ideas to like men and women. And then the next step from that is like, let people fucking do whatever the fuck they want to. If I like this woman wants to wear pink, who the fuck cares? And I feel like those are the layers of what this conversation is. Where it's like, you guys are both right, but Penny, you can chill out. Because it's like, did you not peep how femme Agatha is? (laughs) She wants to frost her gingerbread ladies like in pink. Fucking let her. Like, who the fuck cares? You nailed it. That... (laughs) That meme description is, like, exactly <laughs> the most accurate way you possibly could have discussed this. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that my overly expensive degree is coming to the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me just describe to you feminism using memes. Actually, I'd be very good at that. Anyway. Uh... <laughs> Look, it's the future. That's, that's, a, that's a new fucking course you should pitch it to your local community college just saying i fucking i fucking love memes i feel like memes were like built for people who are neurodiverse where it's like a collective language that isn't actually language it's just pictures that convey an emotion that i can't describe but i can just describe the meme and people know what i'm talking about perfect chef's kiss like god bless the meme (laughs) yes absolutely oh yeah I um I think it's also relevant just to mention that like Penny's mom comes in and does the same thing to Agatha. She sure does, which is rude, I think, honestly. Totally. It's like you've written several books. You should have moved a little bit beyond like feminism one one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh yeah. I felt I felt really bad for Agatha. And also that was another moment where I was like, yeah, Agatha, like, get it. You're so self-possessed because she was like, I like pink. I like it. Fuck off. Like everyone. I'm not doing this because of like anything. I just like this color. And it's like, yeah, get it. Exactly. Let femmes be femmes. In this moment, I'm like, Agatha, why didn't you just decorate a gingerbread man? in pink and then they would have had to fuck off (laughs) 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 (sighs) yeah okay so yes that was also my first one and now we have to talk about how oh there's apparently gossip about how low powered penny's dad is and agatha fucking calls him a quote-unquote dud what the fuck? What the fuck kind of snobbery, bigoted ass bullshit is that? Like, what? Like, what? Uh huh. Well said. <laughs> just. Uh, a dud? Like, A, I mean, like, can he do magic? Yes. So, like, fuck off. And B, just fuck off generally. And C, like, he's clearly contributing he's like one of what maybe 
three people full-time employed by the coven like him the mage i'll let i'll leave room for there to be someone else full-time employed by the coven like he is important in this society and doing like very important work so like the fact that even just beyond like i hate that there's this like power status bigotry the fact that they're applying it to someone who is like the only person researching this thing that is threatening to destroy their entire society and they're like yeah but have you heard like he can't do magic very well it's like the fuck oh my god it's just it's so it's it's so fucked up and like bigoted and just i guess also my question is just like why it's like why the fuck was like natasha grimpitch like oh we should have the low-powered mages get up their wands what to whom who are you giving it to your like your society is like eight people and three of them are related to one another what are you where are you gonna do with these wands what the fuck Agreed. I also only wrote why because, like, I can't, I can't think of, I can't think of a reason. Don't they only benefit from like there being more magical people in their society? Yeah, right. At the very least, it's like unless you want to start like marrying each other's cousins, you kind of need everyone that has magic to contribute to more magical people. I think they are marrying each other's cousins, though. I mean, I think a lot of them are. <laughs> I'm assuming the rich old families look a lot like the rich old families in Harry Potter where it's just like your family tree is just a knot. It's the same tree. Yeah. It's just the same yes. tree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't understand what it is about. It just it just feels like bigotry. I mean like most bigotry like doesn't make any sense anyway. So it kind of just right. like anyway, it's gross. It's very gross. It also just like, I was just thinking about, you know, there's this like discourse that we hear later on from, from Agatha's mom about how like you have to, you have to marry someone, like if you're low powered, you have to marry someone powerful or like whatever, like power is passed down and that our magic is bleeding out because of like ill-conceived American marriages and stuff like that. And I just... I also feel like Patty's family demonstrates that that's not true because like her dad is apparently very low powered and her mom is very powerful, but like all of the kids appear to be as powerful as their mother. So like he clearly didn't dilute the magic, right? Yeah. He's still magic and passing on his magic genes. So like assuming everyone benefits from there being more magical people if only for the purpose of like they only marry other magical people it's like so counterintuitive for them to try and like excise people from their tiny fucking society yeah and then there's just sort of like just like the angering like logistics of so penny's dad isn't super magical um but he's hella smart and doing all this intense scientific research that it's like clearly no one else in the UK seems to have if he's importing like people from the US to be like come help me figure this shit out and I'm like maybe you wouldn't only have one doctor if you just like let some people who like didn't have much like magical power but were like good at healing people (laughs) like like, are you fucking kidding me (sighs) I know (sighs) anyway yeah Uh, I just have one more thing 
I feel like I'm going to have to talk through my feelings about this. But there's this, there's a quote in Penny Chapter that her dad said that kind of resonated with me. He's like, that breaks my heart to think that you can't remember a world without the humdrum. I worry that your generation will just acclimate to it, that you won't see the necessity of fighting back. And I just feel like you could say that about every disaster created by like terrible rich white dudes or every disaster exacerbated by terrible white dudes in America since literally the inception of America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was thinking about it because I feel like years ago I was maybe reading an essay from a queer author who lived through or was living through the AIDS crisis of the 80s mm-hmm. when America wasn't doing shit about a pandemic. Surprise, mm-hmm. surprise. And just like them talking about how sort of sad they were for like future generations that would only know a like post HIV world and not the sort of wild, rampant, joyful sex that queer people were having in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of like, every once in a little while, I like think about that when something happens or you're just like, Oh, yeah, there are plenty of kids who have only grown up with the U.S. fighting a pointless war in the Middle East. And just like, that's fine. That's just what we're doing, right? Fighting for our freedoms, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, don't be complicit about a thing that's been happening since before you were born. It's like, it doesn't have to be this way. Right. So I feel like I resonate with the sadness of just sort of living in a time of fear. And then Mm -hmm. also the sadness of just being like, you just... You grew up with it and you think it's normal. So there's no reason for you to question this terrible thing that's been happening around you. Right. right. And I don't know. I just, I just really appreciate that. And I feel like the fact that Penny's like, yeah, but I'm fighting it. Like the home drum tried to kill me and my friend is like beyond the point of this is a structural problem in their society. <laughs> Having the humdrum create these magical dead zones. Right. And it feels, I guess to me, it feels more like uh, global warming. Thing where it's sort of this ambient thing that is just happening that's making space uninhabitable. Yeah. And it's like get getting used to it would mean, oh yeah, you know, every once in a while uh, space just becomes completely like magicians can't live there anymore and you have to move, whatever, instead of trying to figure out why that's happening and how you can stop it. Yeah. Because you don't, you can't pinpoint an exact reason for it i guess yeah and yeah i mean i can totally see that that happening where people if it if people get to a point where they feel like we're never going to figure out exactly why this is happening or what we can do to stop it which i guess in if we're using the climate change analogy would be more like if we can never figure out a way to hold corporations accountable and make them stop this happening then we just are like, whatever, you know, stop trying because it hasn't worked. Yeah, it's like, cool, like 200 people get to buy a second yacht and bribe their kids into an Ivy League. But it's like, okay, but we all have to drink the same water. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like if the if the oceans, you know, solidify and there's no fish, like that's going to affect everyone, <laughs> including rich people. Anyway, unless they're all going to Mars, which is like, I'm not going to put on my tinfoil conspiracy hat, but a lot of companies interested in Mars all of a sudden. <laughs> a 
last thing here is about is the thing about how Lucy stopped talking to Mitali because she was tired of defending the mage to her. <sighs> Which like I mean I said earlier like I've dated the mage and I definitely have been in the position of I'm just never gonna talk to anyone about what's actually going on in this relationship because I know that they're gonna tell me that like this is bad and that I need to break up and I'm like not ready to do that yet and also I've been on the end of things where I'm like my friend is in like a terrible relationship and I can't be quiet about it so it's like identifying with both of them in that situation and I don't know I think I feel like this is part of the information that we learn about the mage that is also relevant where it's like this is definitely an abusive relationship he has consumed lucy's entire life and existence and she is afraid to disagree with him and 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 has effectively isolated and alienated her from her friends and support network yeah it is the relationship between davy and lucy is definitely an example of a in, in, insidious uh, <laughs> emotional you know abusive relationship that goes from like pretty shitty to like i think if you broke out a like infographic of what a like uh, domestic violence abusive situation looks like it's like you would hit nearly all of those check those those checkpoints exactly and obviously we'll see this the way the way that this ends before this book is over but yeah the mage is awful and just like don't don't date visionaries i think that might be a a, like legitimate piece of advice it's like to be a quote-unquote visionary you really have to spend a lot of time with yourself and like thinking about yourself and yeah caring about yourself and i don't think visionaries tend to have a lot left over for anybody else but they have a lot of emotional needs and you generic you you should not try to meet those needs (laughs) yeah Welcome to Caught in a Landslide, where we rant about stuff. All right, so this is my my only thing, is that, and I got this chapter, we get a bit that we mentioned earlier, where, like, you know, Penny's like, do you think I want to be with Simon? And I got this, like, well, you want to be with, be the most important person in his life, so maybe? I don't know. And that just, I guess, because we have a lot of feelings about, how maybe Agatha views what a like romantic relationship should be, which I mean, personally, I, I don't think being like, you're the most important person to me necessarily means that like, I want to be in a romantic relationship with you. And it's just interesting that I think Agatha feels that way. Like the fact that she's basing it on that and not like any kind of, I don't know, well, he's super hot or it's like, you know, you guys are had this like really intense connection that like seems very intimate. It's kind of just, you want to be the most important person to him. That means being romantic. And I'm like, not necessarily. And I, I, I mean, I, I don't mean that like derisively, like, uh, why oh, don't you no. know that Agatha? I'm just kind of just like, it's very interesting. To, it's very interesting 
to me that that is the first thing that comes to mind for her. I think I I read that differently. Like I read that as Agatha being like, I don't think Penny wants to date Simon, but I think that Penny gets jealous when Simon has relationships that could potentially be more important to him than his relationship with her. And so like, is that a yes or a no? I don't think she, I don't, like the answer is no in the way that Penny is asking it, but is it no in a way that's meaningful, kind of? Mm. But I think it's both. I think both readings are at play here. Yeah. No, and that's a really, I really like your, I really like your, I really like your assessment of this because it definitely does make me wonder about some of Penny's feelings and reaction to Simon and Baz growing closer as not really being enemies anymore Mm -hmm. not like romantic jealousy but more like jealousy that there's someone else that's dividing the attention that simon usually gives to penny but like splitting that between baz in a way that's not like oh we're all just friends here but like something something more Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think I've been saying from Jump that Penny has some, like, big Scorpio in her chart somewhere. (laughs) And I swear to you, you can find, like, 25,000 memes of about when a Scorpio hears their friend refer, like, talk about another friend. And it's, like, the Scorpio having, like, an enormous reaction that's absolutely inappropriate. But I feel like Penny is acting on that, where she's like, no, we're best friends. And, like, that means something, Simon. I have to be your number one and I don't care that you're like sleeping with Agatha that doesn't that cannot possibly be more important than the fact that you and I are best friends. Welcome to I'm Just a Poor Boy, where we tell you about the ways that you can support this show. And uh, I decided that I'm going to just like talk to you about a different way you can support the show from episode to episode based on whim. Uh, So this week, I'm going to talk to you about our merch, which is uh, really rad. We recently added a bunch of carry on themed merch to our shop. There's a very sexy Twinkle Twinkle Little Star t-shirt and sticker. Uh, There's a sticker sheet and also a postcard pack that have like a merwolf and a plate of sour cherry scones and a dead rat. And those are great also. We also, I mentioned the pin up at the top that says gay people love puns. There's also a sticker that says that. And then we also have a sticker club and I... On the down low, listeners, next month's sticker is going to be carry-on themed, so maybe check it out now if you've been thinking about it. And you can find all of that at thegailyprofit.com slash shop. Welcome to Send Shivers Down My Spine, where we talk about sexy stuff. Yes, uh, I just want to talk about how both Agatha and Mitali talk about what a babe Lucy was. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's like beautiful and, you know, 
broad-shouldered and like beautiful hair and eyes and like played like rugby and just like was super great and i'm just like i love all of this yes tell me more about what a babe she is who doesn't love a like rural rugby playing babe Mm -hmm. sounds great (laughs) we're gonna learn from agatha really soon that she apparently looks a lot like baby spice (laughs) oh i love it Mm -hmm. so yeah and just like, I'm glad everyone thinks so. I'm sorry that she ended up with a mage mm-hmm. and not with some someone who appreciated her, not just for her inside baby-making capabilities. Yeah. You have to make it sad. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, glad, glad, glad that she's a babe. Really appreciate all of the affirmations here about that. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, I don't have anything here, so surprisingly sexy free (laughs) section i know yeah this is a very not sexy section of chapters which is unfortunate before we leave this section however we get to play kiss kill improvise mommy edition part two (laughs) your options are agatha's mom penny's mom and simon's mom all right um i think i think considering all of my uh shivers section that i Definitely would would kiss Lucy. I would uh, definitely improvise with uh, Mitaly. That could be any number of either regular platonic nerdy things or like sexy magic things. Mm-hmm. And which means that I am killing Agatha's mom, <laughs> who is probably more of a like early '90s Martha Stewart type A rich lady that like can be hot in a, in a scenario, but like it's probably very annoying. Great. And also, I'm like two for two in terms of guessing how you're going to vote on these things. So I'm like really stoked about that. I feel like at this point in our friendship, you realize just how very predictable I am. I don't think it's predictable. I just like know your tastes. It's fine. <laughs> We've talked about your tastes on like 100 podcast episodes. <laughs> this, this is true. Point, so. This is very true. All right. All right. Welcome to Is This Just Fantasy, where we talk about magic and science and magical science. And for the first time, magical science, as in magical scientists. It's just, it's so refreshing where we have Penny's dad is like a magical scientist using science and research and like, we assume this scientific method to figure out what the fuck's going on with what the humdrum is doing. Yeah. It's just... It's just really great. I'm just like so excited about it. Uh, We also get prophecies, which I think are also sort of a magical science. An inexact science. (laughs) Yes, but it sounds like pretty... I mean, I guess we don't hear about all the prophecies that didn't come true. So... Yeah. But it does sound like it it tends to get some stuff right. Yeah. Uh, And we get this... There's one iteration of the prophecy about Simon, which is this child's rhyme. Uh, And one will come to end us and one will bring his fall. Let the greatest power of powers reign. May it save us all. I would like to discuss this prophecy with you if you're open. All right. I am into that. So I think that the mage is the one who has come to end them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he does some pretty 
awful things to bring up to bring about the enacting of this prophecy which if davy had read more fantasy or mythology would know that <laughs> sometimes you are the terrible like uh harbinger of the like doom and gloom part of a, of a prophecy and it's just like yeah. you just kind of let that shit alone you know right because the threat he says like there will be a threat to like magic or whatever and that threat is the humdrum and the, the mage made the humdrum he says that the greatest mage will come when things are dark and divided and like he is the one who created the political atmosphere in which things are dark and divided yeah and i fucking hate that we're gonna end this book with simon being convinced that he's the one who came to end them and not being able to like separate himself from the humdrum because the mage made the humdrum just as much as he made simon but like simon is his own person yeah that's because simon is too good and pure for this world (laughs) yeah to be like even with the like literal evidence of how awful the mage is it like didn't even occur to him to be like oh well clearly he was the bad guy (laughs) no you know it's so sad i know oh uh i just have one more quick thing mm-hmm. which is that uh penny's dead references like around the time before the around the that you know before the like world of mages was more uh cohesive he's like and then there was like a werewolf attack in london like can you believe it which i am a hundred and 10% convinced is a reference to the 80s horror comedy An American Werewolf in Paris. <laughs> I mean, not in Paris, sorry. An American Werewolf in London. And I'm like, this has to be a reference, right? Please. There's that song, too. Is the song from the movie? I don't know. I've never seen the movie. Me either. But I've heard the song because they play it on <laughs> oldies stations. Or oh, my God. Classic rock stations, rather. Incredibly incredible incredible <laughs> oh wow i'm losing the ability to talk we've been doing this for a while <laughs> um we learn that magic settles into a place and supports you and when a dead spot opens up and a magician has to move their family can become less powerful because of it which i just think is really interesting yeah it's sort of like it's not just genetics that determines your level of power it's like the amount of ambient magic you are you're around and like say your your home is full of magic that means you're just sort of simmering in magic also it kind of feels like uh like a trauma allegory like you get uprooted from your place of safety and your ability to like function is damaged as a result of it and then if you like reroute you know presumably you move into a new home and you like settle there and you get comfortable and you yeah get you know in your space then you start like your magic would maybe come back i don't know that just occurred to me right now i don't know if it tracks or not i feel like it does because i feel like i've definitely read a few things with like research coming out in, in the past couple of years about how gentrification is actually also a health crisis because people who are displaced because of gentrification it increases the amount of like stress-related illnesses but also just like people's health in general from like Mm -hmm. just the trauma of being priced out and uprooted Mm -hmm. and like the idea was like let's look at it from a public health issue and i'm like we should really just not gentrify neighborhoods but okay um (laughs) so i feel like it makes 
this idea about like you know the trauma of like uprooting because you don't have a magical like a magical home anymore is like feels very realistic to me yeah that makes a lot of sense i do think that looking at gentrification as a public health crisis actually has could have a lot of value because like gentrification is an issue of landlords and businesses and not of individuals yeah and like and like city policy and like you know federal policy too yeah yeah because the like gentrifiers moving into a neighborhood are almost never people who could afford to live somewhere else which is like they got priced out of their neighborhoods and then like priced people out of their neighborhoods but like it's the landlords who are like oh i'm gonna raise the rent as a result of this thing that actually caused gentrification yeah I just have a lot of feelings about the way that we talk about gentrification because it's like not realistic and it's like this is a city policy issue. You need rent control is the answer to gentrification. I mean, I think part of it is that then that opens the door to be like, oh, yes, segregated cities and countries and cities and towns all over the country are the result of like structural policies and not just because like white people just want to live near the white people. It's like, no, there there are structures in place go back to slavery as to why these things are and then these structures also have have allowed gentrification to flourish so who's controlling how much property taxes are who's controlling how much rent is and who's controlling how much like houses are allowed to like quote-unquote appreciate and then and then it's kind of like and then it immediately crosses over to like oh well these people aren't worth our spending money on i'm like Fuck you and the horse you rode in on. Like, are you shitting uh-huh. me? Anyway, this has been Leftist France with <laughs> Jesse and Lark. Uh, yeah. Rent control so that your magic <laughs> won't disappear from your home. It's related, I swear. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you have anything else here? No, I don't actually have anything else here. Okay. So the last thing that I have is that, so on my ongoing uh, investigation into how being stricken from the book works, okay. we have the first thing that's harming my theory that everyone who hasn't like been talked to about Nico by Ebb can't remember him because obviously Penny's dad does remember him, which is great because we get this incredible answer. I can't say that I have. In which he has told the complete truth while also lying. It's beautiful. I fucking <laughs> love it. But it means that he does, like, he does remember, and it's just some sort of, like, law that he can't talk about Nico. And I'm sad about it and would like to excise it from canon. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Or maybe he didn't realize he remembered it until Penny spoke it out loud to ask him. And then it was like, oh, shit, this thing oh shit, I actually can't tell you about this. Yes, but Penny hasn't been talked to by Simon since he got the words from Ebb. Mm. Oh, I see. Yeah, I mean, I guess this just bears further investigation. Unless we sort of like go back and are like, okay, Natasha unlocked the words for Simon and it wasn't actually Ebb that did it. I guess you're right. He does hear it first from her. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm willing to believe that. Okay, great. That makes it so that my theory stands and that makes me happy so <laughs> <I'll take it. laughs> uh, all right that's it that's it we did it thank you for listening to this episode of escape from reality 
Ooh, next time we're reading chapter 60. <laughs> Woo! I'm sorry, and also, you know that we can only read chapter 60 next time. Oh, but we're so close. I mean, yeah, it's like we're we're just on the cusp of like this slow burn finally. Uh-huh. Uh, Escape from Reality is a creation of Hashtag Ruthless Productions. We also have a podcast about Harry Potter that's called The Gaily Prophet. And uh, we have a Buffy podcast called We Are the Gayers that's available on Patreon. All of those podcasts are produced, mixed, and edited by me. And Jesse's going to tell you where to find us on the internet. Uh, yeah. If you want to buy some merch check out uh past episodes of the podcast drop us a line mail us something to our p.o box you can find all the information on our website thegailyprofit.com uh we are also uh active on instagram and twitter both those at the gaily prophet and uh so you should go follow us there and see what kind of fun things we're doing which is a lot of things <laughs> it sure is <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you can find me on the internet on Instagram at Lark Malachi, which is L-A-R-K-M-A-L-A-K-A-I, or on my website, which is LarkMalachi.com, which is where you can get a tarot reading from me. If you want to follow me and see what ridiculous things I'm retweeting, you can find me on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit or on Instagram at Live from Detroit. The music and our theme song is by Kevin McLeod. The rest of the music is Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester. And until next time, Scott Whoa, we nailed it. <laughs> <laughs>